let me begin this morning by uh, sharing a story from the not too distant past about an interesting event in American history. Historians name Thomas Jefferson as the most influential of the founding fathers. For without him, it is likely that the nation would have never been birthed. He helped author the Declaration of Independence. He founded the University of Virginia. He oversaw the Louisiana Purchase. He established the United States Military Academy and he helped abolish the slave trade in 1807. But in 1820, six years before he died, President Thomas Jefferson undertook maybe his most memorable and controversial act. He set out to create his own version of the New Testament. And here was his reasoning. Jesus was a great teacher and, and in fact, Jesus was a great philosopher and, and in fact, Jesus even had great insights on morality. But his miracles are just too ridiculous to believe. So Thomas Jefferson using a razor and scissors physically cut out the miracles, cut out the resurrection, cut out the ascension, and cut out all other supernatural events that were recorded. And wouldn't you know it, he ended up with a New Testament that was only 84 pages long. And he named this book, The Philosophy, Life, and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. That is an actual picture of the very Bible he edited. Thinking about that story today, this question comes to my mind. How many of us are in like manner reading a Bible that we have conveniently edited in our own minds to skip out on the stuff that we find hard to believe? See, friend, either the Bible will change you or you will change it. Either the word of God will cut you or you will cut it. <laughs> Either God will be true and every man a liar or man will be true and God be found a liar. But I can tell you this, I've been inspired by a lot of books but only transformed by one. I've been educated by a lot of texts, but my mind has only ever been renewed by one. I've been entertained by a lot of novels, but I've only ever been captivated by one. And I'm not sure where you're at this morning with God, but my Bible is still filled with miracles. It is still filled with signs and wonders. It is still filled with the unexplainable and wonderful works of a sovereign God who still heals the sick, still cleanses the leper, still casts out demons, and still raises from the dead. It is not just history. It is not just narrative. It is not just a good story. It is not just personal reflections. It is a living document that testifies to a living God. And I am not reducing God to somehow fit within the intellectual framework of Western culture. I am not skipping out on miracles because they take too much faith to believe. No, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believes, 
first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We aren't changing scripture, we're changing culture. We aren't downgrading the word, we're upgrading our minds. And if our experience doesn't match what the scripture says, we ain't changing scripture, we're changing us. See, Jesus wasn't just a good leader. He wasn't just a, a moral teacher. He wasn't just one of many influential first century philosophers. He was the son of the living God who was raised from the dead by God's own spirit. And still today, everything hinges on the resurrection. And by the way, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you and gives strength to your mortal body. See, watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are forever lost. If Christ has not been raised, then our only hope is in this world and that is pathetic. If Christ has not been raised, how then will we be raised from the dead? If Christ has not been raised, then God is a liar. But if Christ has been raised, there is no fear in death. If Christ has been raised, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in him. If Christ has been raised, then my sins have been forgiven. My future has been secured and my hope is anchored above. If Christ has been raised, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If Jesus is dead and the dead are not raised, nothing else matters. But if Jesus is alive and the dead are all raised, then nothing else matters. And there will come a day where Christ descends with a shout and the clouds roll back like a scroll and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air and we will enjoy his uninterrupted fellowship for all of eternity. Oh death, where is your sting? For Jesus has defeated the grave. People ask me, well, when's Easter Sunday? Every Sunday. When's Christmas Sunday? Every Sunday. Because the foundation of our faith is not just the historicity of Christ. He is not just a figurine to be somehow discovered on the dusty shelf of a religious museum. He is the living God who by his own spirit takes residence inside the human heart and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God our Father. That's who Jesus is. Let me say it again, friend. Everything hinges on the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection because of the eyewitness accounts of the early disciples. I believe in the resurrection because the early apostolic fathers were martyred due to their refusal to deny the living Jesus. I believe in the resurrection because it changed a murderer named Saul into a missionary named Paul. And I believe in the resurrection because only a God who could raise his son, Jesus, by his own spirit 
could compel people to follow him even unto death. This is not an analogy. This is not some sort of dramatic, poetic reinterpretation. This is not some grand spiritual allegory. The resurrection of Jesus is an undisputed historical fact that compels us to put our faith in the one and only resurrected Son of God. And by the way, when we do water baptisms next week, it is with the resurrection in mind. See, watch what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that brings us to Luke 24, where Dr. Luke, a Gentile follower of Jesus, records a story that immediately follows the resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead but the disciples don't yet believe it. The events surrounding his crucifixion have been too traumatic. The persecution, it has been too disheartening. The threats are just too scary. The women who have been to the tomb, they believe. The Roman guards who were disrupted by the angels who rolled back the stone, they believe but the disciples who walked with him for the last three and a half years are yet to accept the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead just like he said he would. And that brings us to Luke 24, where the Bible records a story of two disciples leaving Jerusalem, walking back home, going back to their old way of living, dejected, rejected, depressed, overcome with disappointment that the one that they followed has been crucified on Calvary's hill. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. It in fact was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked together. And as they walked, they conversed and reasoned amongst themselves. So much so that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. I want you to see this today. After the crucifixion, instead of staying in Jerusalem to witness the resurrection, the disciples either go back to fishing they go back to hiding or they simply walk back home. Are you aware that Jesus prophesies his own resurrection 21 times in the gospels? It's not like he hasn't told them what's about to happen, but the disillusionment of the last three days has so damaged their hearts that instead of staying around to see the miracle, they go back to their old way of living. And if we were to be honest, is not that our temptation today? Isn't it interesting that God can tell us something a thousand times, but we don't believe it? But the enemy only has to tell us something once and we accept it as truth? See, I know the miracle is coming. 
I know the breakthrough is coming. I know the restoration is coming. I know Kirkland is coming. I know the elementary school is coming. All the disciples had to do was wait for 72 hours and they would see the promise fulfilled. But if you allow the trauma of the in-between to keep you from staying engaged in the process, my friend, you will miss out on an opportunity to witness what God is about to do. Have you considered that the disciples not being present didn't stop the resurrection? All it meant was that they missed out on being a witness to it. Oh, you can't stop a move of God, but you can miss it, and a lot of people do. See, you can't afford to allow your pain to be the reason you don't show up and stick around. Oh, I got this expectation that refuses me, refuses to allow me to miss a Sunday because I'm just not quite ever sure what all God is going to do. See, some of us treat church like that. If I don't get what I want, when I want it, if I get offended, if I don't understand, if I encounter difficulty, if my miracle takes longer than I would like it to, then I'm booking a one-way ticket back to my former life. No, friend, victory belongs to people who show up and keep showing up. It belongs to people who knock and keep knocking. It belongs to people who pray and keep praying until one day they see in the light what God has been working on in the dark. See, the Bible says their eyes was restrained. You know that word restrained in the Greek, it means to be held back. It means to be seized up. It means to be taken control of by an exterior force. See, I think pain that you refuse to appropriately process ends up impacting your ability to see. And Jesus was right next to them and they didn't know it. And why? Because their vision was limited by the trauma they was focused on. And here's what I love. They don't deserve it. They headed in the wrong direction. They're arguing amongst themselves regarding the crushing disappointment of seeing the one that they followed executed on a tree and in the midst of their depressive dialogue, Jesus invites himself to the conversation. And how many times has Jesus drawn near and you didn't even know it? <laughs> How many times has Jesus showed up in the midst of your disillusionment and depression and just sat there until you felt his undeniable presence? See, the Bible says, no man comes to the Father unless they are first drawn, which means you didn't find Jesus, he found you. You didn't realize it, but even when you was in the pig pen, he was drawing you. You didn't realize it, but even when you was in wayward prodigal living, he was drawing you. You didn't realize it, but even when you was in the valley of the shadow of death, even when you was in the miry clay, even when you was in the kingdom of darkness, even when you was in living in the tombstone and graveyard living by his spirit, he was drawing you in small and seemingly insignificant ways because he has refused to let you go. And Jesus is drawing us today. 
Is your vision restrained? Is your ability to see held back by the unforeseen circumstances of your life? Could you trust God this morning that he is working it out? He, in fact, has not forgotten. His plans and purposes will, in fact, prevail. Hear me, if you can't see, you can't succeed. If you can't envision, you can't grow. If you can't dream, it's impossible to have hope for what's ahead. Oh, today would be a good day to allow God to heal your eyes so that you can see again. You may have come from Emmaus, but your home is Jerusalem. You may have been born in dysfunction, but you can live in freedom. You may have come from fishing, but your destiny is souls. I simply refuse to allow my pain to cause me to go back to what God has rescued me from. Now watch verse 17. And Jesus says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? I love when Jesus plays dumb in the Gospels. <laughs> like he doesn't know what they're talking about. Like he doesn't already discern the very motives and thoughts in their own mind. Like he isn't well aware of exactly what they are running away from and retreating back to. What are you talking about? And why are you sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas, he answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? And Jesus says to them, What things? And they reply, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet mighty indeed in the word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. See, we were hoping. We were believing. We were expecting that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today just happens to be the third day since these things happened. I love this. Jesus isn't asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. He is asking the question to help reveal the nature of their hearts. Which, by the way, friend, is the same reason God asks us questions today. Think about the questions Jesus asks in Scripture. Who do you say that I am? Do you want to be made well? Why is you so afraid? Why did you doubt are you going to leave also? Who touched me? See, the questions of Jesus are not reflective of his lack of knowledge. The questions of God help reveal to us the true nature of our heart and our motives. You ever find yourself explaining stuff to God like he doesn't already know? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? How do you not know the things that have happened? Come on, God, you're late to the party. If you would have only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus, just let me fill you in on all the stuff that you've missed. And I love this. Jesus engages, not offended by their lack of belief, 
not upset by how quickly they go back home, not irritated they weren't at the garden tomb. Jesus engages in the conversation because that is what friends do. The disciples want answers, but what they need is nearness. The disciples want guarantees, but what they need is faith. The disciples want explanations, but what they need is a God who offers them a conversation that will draw them in and leave them transformed for all of eternity. How many times do you catch yourself saying stuff like this to God? God, just explain. Just tell me how it's all gonna work out and then I will be okay. The problem with that theology is you are only okay until the next unexplainable event. And you know what? Life is filled with the unexplainable. It is filled with events and experiences that lack the answers we so desire. But allow me to challenge your thinking today. You don't need more information. Instead, you need a fresh revelation of the nearness of a holy God. See, when God is near, I realize I don't need answers as much as I need relationship and what he offers me is his presence and that's enough see the bible says i need a peace that passes my understanding it says i need a hope that is anchored above it says i need a mind that is set on heavenly things and a faith that endures but not never once does it say i need answers to all of life's questions but so often we operate as self entitled, arrogant people. God owes me an explanation. I prayed for that and it didn't happen. I gave $10 in the offering and I didn't get a hundred this week. I'm upset and in doing so, I'm gonna hold back my worship and my affection from him until he gives me the explanation that I want. You know, it's so funny. People say things like this. Well, when I get to heaven, pastor, I got a list of questions I wrote down in my journal. I'm gonna have all these questions for Jesus. Why my cat run away when I was nine? Why my dog have hip dysplasia when he was 11? Why my grandma smacked me around when I was 13? I got all these questions and God better answer them. Friend, when you get to heaven the one whose eyes burn like fire will evaporate every question that you've ever had and you will find yourself lost in worship for all of eternity to the wounded lamb who sits on the throne God doesn't owe me answers I owe him my allegiance oh we was hoping you would redeem Israel and we're upset you didn't give us our land back. We still got these nasty Romans ruling over us. How many times you find yourself grateful six months later that God didn't answer your original prayer? God, if you just make this lady the love of my life, she's the one, I know it. God, he my knight in shining armor, just give him to me, Lord. You know why marriage isn't the solution? Because being single isn't the problem. Until God deals with the relational wounds and the fear of abandonment in your own heart, no relationship will ever be enough. 
But how many times we find ourselves praying for stuff, six months later, we see them posting a picture looking like the Wicked Witch of the West on Facebook, and we are so glad God didn't answer that prayer. God, thank you so much. I know I was upset. I know I had an attitude. I know I was all complaining for the last six months, not in church, not giving, not worshiping, not serving, but can I just say thank you for not giving me what I wanted and instead revealing what I actually needed. Oh, we was hoping you was going to restore Israel. But here's the reality, friend. Jesus would redeem Israel. But he wasn't just after Israel. He was after every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. See, what we are praying for and what God is interested in doing oftentimes doesn't even exist in the same universe. I'm praying, God, give me a building. And he's saying, if you ask, I'll give you a nation. God, just, just bless my business. And he's saying, if you ask, I'll bless your entire generational line. It's not that our prayers are wrong. It's that they are often too small for what God intends to do. See, next time you're tempted to be sad and cop an attitude because God didn't answer your prayer in the way that you wanted, just remind yourself of Luke 24. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are high above. And the answer he is working on won't just impact Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the earth. And he said to them, now it's time for Jesus to talk. And he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they drew near to the village where they was going, he indicated that he would have gone on farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. As the disciples are drawn near to home, Christ is drawn near to them. He has contended with them out of the scriptures. He has drawn their attention back to the law and the prophets. He has reminded them of the messianic promises and all along he been drawing them in. Maybe you don't recognize it this morning, but we sang the word. We prayed the word. We confessed the word. I'm preaching the word. And God by his own spirit been drawing you this entire time. I didn't know God was working on me, but he was. I didn't know he was drawing me, but he was. In fact, now that I think about it, when I look back over my life, I can see all the times that I was unaware, but God was using these moments to draw me into right relationship with him. That is why I am convinced success begins on Sunday. That is why I'm convinced those who are planted in the house of the Lord, their lives will prosper because 98% of the work that God does in your life, you are unaware of it until he brings it to completion. Why? Because he's working underneath the surface. 
He's working in the shadows and the margins. He is the God who does not sleep, nor does he slumber. He is not slack concerning his promises. All of them are yes and amen. If he said it, he will do it. If he begun your story, he will finish your story. And it's not over yet. That God in this very moment is working in your life in supernatural ways. You might not feel it. You might not understand the totality of it, but if you will stay engaged in the process, especially when you feel like giving up, there will come a day where you are so thankful that you stayed true to the upward call of God. Now watch. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew it was Jesus. You recognize that language from anywhere? How about at the Last Supper on the night he was betrayed? He took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In like manner, he took the wine he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. Every time you gather, eat this bread and drink this cup, do these things in remembrance of me, declaring the Lord's death until he returns. I love how Jesus uses this moment at dinner to get them to recall an event that had only happened a week prior, reminding them that I was the God at your last dinner party. I'm the God at this dinner party. I haven't forgotten one thing that I have ever said and my body, although it has been raised, it is still broken on your behalf. And in many ways, Jesus is again dealing with another betrayal. They're leaving Jerusalem. They are going back to Emmaus. They are going back to their old way of living. They are going back to their old patterns and their old habits. But Jesus is not willing that any should perish. And he still leaves the 99 to go after the one. And although he is being betrayed again, he sits at that table. He stares them in the eyes. He breaks the bread. And in this moment, their eyes are opened and they recognize it has been Jesus who has walked with us all along. And friend, I would venture to say to you this morning, if you could take an honest look back over the last many decades of your life, you would too recognize that Jesus has been the great constant force. He has been there all along. You might not have known it. You might not have always felt it, but he was the one who interrupted your depression. He was the one who interrupted your anxiety. He is the one who interrupted your overdose and your suicide. He was there all along, holding together the very fractured fragments of your heart revealing himself to you. And he took the bread and he broke it. And their eyes were opened. And in that moment, he vanishes from their sight. And here's what I love. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 
So they rose up that very hour. They had just gotten home. They had just walked all day, but they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 who were assembled together and they declared, it is true, the Lord has risen. Don't you see the significance? This is communion. This is the broken body and the spilled blood on full display. And still today, we sense the presence of the invisible God in the midst of taking the communion elements, knowing that God himself takes residence in the human heart. And why does he vanish? Because he's got more people to appear to. He has more disciples to convince. He's got more conversations to interrupt. He has more dinner parties to crash. He wouldn't rest until the disciples knew that the father did exactly what the father said he would do. He raised his own son from the grave. He broke the power of sin and he invited us into newness of life. And watch their response. Didn't our hearts burn. Wasn't this Jesus all along and we didn't know it? I didn't realize how significant it was until he disappeared. Oh, it is my conviction that some people will never realize the significance of God's presence, God's people, or God's church until they find themselves in an environment without it. Friend, don't take this for granted. This is a move of God. And as a result, may our hearts burn for him. My prayer is not that you would be entertained. My prayer is not that you would be amused or impressed with our giftedness. My prayer for this community is that our hearts would so burn for the living God that this region would never be the same. Oh, the proof that you have been with Jesus, it is not how much you know. It is not how many verses you memorized. It is not how many conferences you've attended. The proof that you've been with Jesus Jesus is that your heart burns within you. And when we grow old and die, a people say of us, I didn't always agree. I didn't always understand. I didn't always like the pace they ran at. Oh, and at times they made mistakes, but there is something I cannot deny. Their hearts burned for the presence of the living God. And can I tell you, friend, when your heart burns from God, you don't need a press release to advertise it. People just know. Maybe one of my favorite testimonies that I hear from this church on a regular basis there's people who will say things like, Pastor, I've been following God 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I've been raised in church. I spent more time in Sunday services than most people do in 10 lifetimes. But this is the first time I've ever sat in a church where I feel the burning 
compassion of God inside of me. And I think to myself, that's why it's necessary for the pursuit to exist. Because once you taste living water, you can't go back to dry, dead, stale religion. It doesn't satisfy. When you tasted the real, you can't go back to the fake. Isn't that why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good? Because once you do, nothing else can satiate the desire inside of you. And it is my heart for you. And it is my desire for this community, not that our minds would just be informed, not that our calendars would just be filled with busy activities, not that our stomachs would just be made full by the free food that the church offers, but that at the end of the day, our hearts would burn with a desire for the things of God. I know people say, why do you preach the way you do? And you're always loud and you're always yelling and you're always amped up. I'm not trying to fake anything this morning. It's, it, I'm emotional, but it's not emotionalism. This burns inside of me like a fire trapped in my bones. And when I get on this stage, it's my prayer that this community would come to watch us burn for the living God. That what we would be known for above all else is an uncompromising passion that causes us to stay near to the living God. And you may be here today and feel like your faith is on life support. Feel like your best days are behind you. You can't remember the last time that your heart was moved by the presence of God. And I want you to know today that you are closer now than when you first believed. That all those who believe will receive and out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And could today be the day where your wounded heart comes into healing? Could today be the day where your misplaced passion gets fanned into flame? Could today be the day where God deposits fresh fire on the altar of your heart and your life is never the same. Oh, that Jesus is alive and well and He is here in the room this morning. Yes, it's true. He is risen and He is risen indeed. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Come on, let me pray for you today. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we give you access to every room in the mansion of our heart. God, I pray that you, by your own spirit, would do works of healing for the places that have experienced pain. That God, by the reality of your nearness, you would consume the unanswered questions that have held us back from worshiping you. God, I pray today that this message wouldn't just somehow inflate our intellectualism, but instead would cause a living well to spring up from within, causing dead things to come to life, causing disappointment and disillusionment to drop off breaking the yoke of bondage that has weighed us down 
giving us a fresh sense of hope and desire for the days ahead. God, we trust you, for only you have the words of life. Today, by your spirit, do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen and amen.